from Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Mountainland Physical Therapy's Pelvic Health Podcast. I'm your host, Madison Splann. Thanks for listening. Today's topic, pelvic floor and abdominal trigger point release. We speak with Dr. Darren Watts, OBGYN. He practices at St. Mark's OBGYN Associates and is an expert in his field. He completed undergraduate degree in chemistry at the University of Utah before attending medical school at Medical College of Wisconsin. He is the department chairman for St. Mark's Hospital in the Department of OBGYN for 2008-2009 and has published several research articles and is frequently asked to deliver professional presentations. So to start off, let's just kind of start talking about like what is a trigger point? So a trigger point to me as a physical therapist is a discrete, nodular, hypersensitive area. It's pretty small. It's usually like about a centimeter in circumference. And this tight band of skeletal muscle can cause impulses that travel to the central nervous system, giving rise to that pain response. Um, Dr. Watts, how would you describe a trigger point? Well, I think that is uh, definitely a part of that. I, th- I would just add that there's some dysfunctional signal between the muscle and the nerve within these muscle fibers. And sometimes uh, because of that, uh, we get decreased oxygen delivery to a muscle that then causes kind of further muscular cell death and nerve cell death. So it's kind of a you know dysfunctional signal that occurs within these muscle and nerve bands. Yeah, they seem very hyper irritable, hypersensitive, tender to palpation. Um, patients can usually point right to it. I'll tell patients it kind of feels like a, a knot because that seems to be the best analogy for them in regards to muscle knots for like a trigger point. Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting. You can feel them. And, you know, I've done this for years now. People, patients are always like, well, why are you asking me if it hurts? Because you can feel it. And, you know, it's interesting. Sometimes you can feel it and sometimes you can't really feel it. So it does really cause, it does help to have some patient feedback on location of these, of these trigger point sites. Definitely. Um, so how would you describe to your patients what a trigger point injection is? Well, we do an injection. Uh, there's been a lot of different ways to look at this and there's been studies looked at uh, looking at the what we use for injections but basically it's a needle at the spot of tenderness at the trigger point site. I found that the best uh, medicine to use is just a local anesthetic lidocaine which is a quick acting uh, anesthetic with bupivacaine. It's a longer acting medicine and there's been dry needling used, and that actually long-term has the same efficacy as, as a local anesthetic, um, but it, it has a lot more resi- uh, persistent pain after the injection. They're pretty sore typically when we use lidocaine and, and bupivacaine. They last pain from the site lasts for one to two days, more, more like 24 hours. Um, but basically, we inject the site uh, of this dysfunctional signal with a local anesthetic to interrupt that nerve signal. And it's amazing, even though the medicine lasts for six to eight hours, we get an effect that may last up to three to four weeks. Great. And what kind of patient diagnoses do you normally 
have that will receive this trigger point injection? Well, the term is uh, myofascial pain syndrome. Sometimes it's referred to as myositis, which is an interesting because it suggests that there's some inflammatory response of the muscle. I don't know if it's true inflammation or if it's just a dysfunctional muscle nerve signal. <clears throat> but uh, we use, uh, that's the diagnosis mainly, myofascial pain. And depending on various parts of the bodies, it, 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 gives a, it receives a different diagnosis. If it's of the pelvic floor or levator muscles, we call it levator tension myalgia, but it's basically myofascial pain. Sometimes if we find it in different locations, we give it a different term, but, but I would say that the diagnosis is myofascial pain syndrome. Good. I know a lot of patients that I've seen in the past, either from you or from other physicians that I think might benefit from this procedure may have like conditions such as endometriosis, um, dyspareunia and vaginismus, which was a conversation on the first podcast about those different conditions, even like in the abdomen for those C-section pain patients that are still continuing to have pain, which definitely falls into that myofascial pain um, because of those sutures deep in through the fascia. Um, but it, it's interesting to see the different conditions that can benefit from it. And I feel like it's not as well known within the patient population as well as it is in the physicians. Um, I know a lot of patients that have like chronic pelvic pain or abdominal pain seem to have, you know, histories of like, you know, difficult deliveries. They may even have some PTSD or sexual trauma. I found that they are very hypersensitive to any type of touch stimuli. And so those patients seem to do really well to kind of decrease that hyperintensity motor plate that's going on within the pelvic floor muscles. Um, I'll even find some of these patients that would benefit show like really poor posture. They're kind of that like lower cross syndrome. So they have really tight hip flexors, tight rectus abdominis muscles. Um, they may even have like a leg length discrepancy or a rotation within the pelvis that may have happened during pregnancy and has continued on postpartum. Even some joint malalignment, um, patients with scoliosis, that's pretty severe S-curve, um, can have pretty tight abdominals on one side and then loose on the other. And this kind of push-pull relationship tends to react well to these different um, trigger point injections and the, the amount of outpatient cost for chronic pelvic pain that I found in one study was close to $900 million annually, which was pretty mm. intense to see. Um, so, so in regards to patients that um, are good indicators for trigger point injection, what kind of a process do you go through to you know, rate a patient in regards to being a good candidate or a poor candidate for a trigger point injection? No, it's a good question. Madison, I mean, I think to summarize uh, your well uh, uh, appropriate, I mean, I think the summary, uh, if I could say one thing about what you just said, is really it's compensation. The muscles are compensating for whatever problem is present. And in the case of like endometriosis, the compensation is that they have severe pain with their periods. Now, does that cause muscular pain? No, but the compensation to, those, to that painful period is what causes the pain associated with myofascial pain syndrome. And for instance, most people that have 
painful periods. They have them for a year or five years. Uh, you know, the delay in diagnosis to endometriosis in the United States is nine years. So you're looking for nine years of people having painful periods. And most of those people will curl up in the fetal position. They'll immobilize themselves for two to three days. Uh, and then all of a sudden their pain goes from being just at the time of their period to pain every day. And that compensation of the muscles, whether it's all the other things you referenced, uh, is what we really need to get at. And so when somebody comes to my office for pain, a lot of times it's pain every day. I love it when it's not pain every day because then you so much easier to treat them. But <clears throat> they need an assessment of not just, you know, do you have myofascial pain, but what is the source of that? And so that's where I think it's so nice to send somebody to a physical therapist because they look at posture, they look at hip malrotation. Sometimes that is what the compensation of those muscles are trying to deal with uh, malrotation or they're trying to deal with, you know, a, a, a sco severe scoliosis. So the compensation is what really produces the myofascial dysfunction. So unfortunately, I wish I could just say it's one thing, but you have to look at the leg length discrepancy, you have to look at their hips, you have to look at the way they posture, you have to look at, you have to ask in your history, you know, what do you do when you, with your painful periods? Do you stay home from school? Do you stay home from work for three days and lay in bed and curl up in the fetal position? Well, yeah, we need to stop that. That's, the, that's what's leading to your muscular dysfunction. So, so there's so many things that come into the evaluation of somebody with chronic pain that can't just be well, you've got myofascial pain and we're just going to treat that and you're going to be done. Sometimes it's, you know, what you'd mentioned, it's post-traumatic uh, from sex or rape, or sometimes it's just painful sex every time they go to have sex. Sometimes it's, you know, every time they go to have their period, it's, you know, that dysfunction. So there's a lot that goes into it. I wish the chronic pain could be one diagnosis, but what I find is that uh, it starts with one, leads into the next one, sometimes compensates the next one. So a lot of times, by the time I'll see them, they'll have multiple diagnoses, all of which need to be addressed, all of which need to kind of be a part of that. And so um, hopefully that answers your question, Madison. Yeah, I think on a lot of the different research that I've shown, individuals with chronic pelvic pain on average spend one to two days from lost work, lost school days because of staying home due to pain. And like you're saying, that fetal position, I, I tell my patients often, you know, especially with, you know, the, the painful periods, the painful intercourse, it's like we're repeatedly poking ourselves in the eye. And when it comes to pelvic floor pain, after a while, when it comes to our eye, we just shut it. We learn to shut our eye to ignore that stimulant or block it. So I think the same thing kind of happens with dysmenorrhea, vaginismus. Our pelvic floor muscles literally have learned to just shut it out as the protective response. Yeah. A lot of patients, I'll give them the analogy like, you know, in a car accident, you know, we have whiplash. Our neck muscles go into protection mode for our spinal cord. Same thing can happen at our pelvic floor. Our pelvic floor muscles go into protection mode. They tighten up. That's what they do when they're protecting from a painful stimuli or something that they know or has caused pain repeatedly in the past. And so um, I always tell patients, you know, this is a very holistic approach. We need to be working on the muscle itself. We need to be working on the association with the pain we're breaking the brain pain association and i think having that trigger point injection can really make physical therapy much more successful 
similar to having like a spinal epidural injection for low back pain. It can make physical therapy interventions much more successful when patients are able to push further because that pain response isn't kicking in quite as quickly. I agree. Um, and so you were saying that you commonly will use more of a lidocaine. Do you ever use Botox injections for patients with chronic pelvic pain? Absolutely. I love Botox. I'm, the problem with Botox is it's very cost prohibitive, you know, and, and uh, I was in a private practice by myself. Um, we would do Botox and we would just charge patients cost. But unfortunately, I'm in a setting where I'm not it's not my own practice and uh, the current setup is I think quite expensive. It's about $16 per unit. And, you know, sometimes for levator muscles, we'll do up to 55 zero units uh, to be able to inject and, and uh, you know, prevent that spasm, chronic spasm, chronic spasticity of muscles. I think it's a great medicine. Uh, I love it for the levator muscles. I'm not as big of a fan for the abdominal, rectus abdominis muscles because there's so mu many muscles, such a big muscle fiber. And I think the amount of injections you have to do is pretty significant. Uh, but I've, I've done it for that. And it's, again, it's just a cost limitation. I'd love to see insurance companies get on board to realize that this is a very beneficial therapy for somebody, you know, if you're looking at that $900 million per year annually, you could really limit a number of visits because you change from doing a trigger point injection with lidocaine every four weeks to a trigger point injection with Botox every four months. That's a big, that's a huge cost savings. Now, granted, Botox costs. So, you know, are you, they're probably just saying, well, just come once a month. Well, that's a real hassle for patients to do that. Right. It was interesting. I was reading a study. It was a small like case series with 50 patients and it showed like 92% suffering from myofascial pain demonstrate trigger points. And then 65% of those were in the suprapubic muscles, 45% were in the obturator internus, and then 43% were in the iliopsoas. Is that kind of similar to the array that you see in regards to the trigger points that you're treating or is it different how would that kind of play out in your uh, setting that's a i mean it's a pretty small number 52 patients but yeah. um i i would say to me uh there's a lot fewer patients that have iliopsoas muscles i've done some injections of iliopsoas muscles it seems to be a little less frequent than would you say what 30 percent? yeah around there 43. 43. That's mm -hmm. really high. Uh, so, I mean, I, I don't see that quite as much. I, I definitely see a lot of the rectus abdominis muscles, which I kind of put into the pubic muscles. Uh, those are all kind of together. Right. Um, it just depends. I mean, sometimes it's levator stuff. I mean, levator, we'll see it just as a totally different set of problems, I think. That's more of the dyspareunia. Yeah. Uh, patient and not everybody experiences that. So even somebody who has chronic myofascial rectus abdominis pain, they don't have, you know, dyspareunia, so they're not going to see the levator muscles involved. So, right, right. Um, another kind of study I saw was about the effectiveness um, clinically in patients, and it was showing a study with trigger point injection versus physical therapy, and it found both of them are quite effective. Um, over six weeks, patient had six trigger point 
injections or 12 PT visits. And it showed a 94% improvement with PT and an 83% improvement with the trigger point injections, specifically in the levator A9 muscles is where those injections were, as well as the huh. painful areas with um, palpation via the physical therapy evaluation. But the interesting thing that was a little bit different is that patients were able to achieve that 83% effectiveness with the trigger point injections on an average of 4.4 weeks, whereas it took the PT intervention 7.3 weeks in order to get to that 94%. So yeah. I'd be interested to see a study where they did them both together and see what would be the time frame as well as the effectiveness with both. Yeah, it, it has to be done together. Um, I actually don't think that you should do them separately uh, personally, because I think that um, trigger point injections themselves help to ameliorate the actual symptom, but then you've got to treat the underlying problem. So if you're just injecting it and you're not really treating it, the underlying problem, that's why I think physical therapy has to be kind of teamed up with trigger point injections or, you know, if you're not doing physical therapy, you need definitely an exercise regimen for the abdominal muscles to alleviate that um, chronic spasm or that dysfunction of the muscles. And I think you have to do exercise or stretching exercises in addition. If you just do injections, you're never going to get any improvement. So whether that's levator muscles, I think is a little easier to do with physical therapy. It's harder for people to stretch on their own. Um, but you have to do both. I don't think you can, I, I'll never tell a patient, we're just going to do trigger point injections and you're going to be good because we got to treat the underlying problem. Yeah, I would agree completely. It's interesting. I'll take quite a global approach when it comes to chronic pelvic pain, depending on where, what muscles are involved. So, you know, if it's an abdominal muscle, we're going to be stretching the muscle. We're going to be you know, the research is on eccentric strengthening. So we want to uh -huh. be contracting that muscle as it's lengthening. And I think individuals that are not well-educated in chronic pelvic pain or, or chronic pain, ten, tendinosis, tendinopathies, they don't have that understanding that you need to be lengthening as it's contracting to gain the best results. A lot of, um, you know, exercise programs that people will look on to the web for are more concentric in nature. The muscle is shortening and um, some patients that try to do interventions on their own can actually end up making it worse because now they're concentrically activating the muscle instead of eccentrically contracting the muscle. So a lot of individuals that I'll have, you know, when it's an abdominal muscle, I'll have them doing an eccentric sit-up. So what they're doing is they're on one of the larger therapy balls and they're doing um, a sit-up. But when they're doing the sit-up, they're going up fast, and they're going down slow, and then they're going mm -hmm. into a back extension. So they're actually getting lengthening through that rectus abdominis muscle. Um, for the pelvic floor, a lot of that is actually doing contractions, doing that Kegel contraction while we're actually doing motions. Are we doing that Kegel contraction as we're doing a clam? Are we doing that Kegel as we're doing a squat? So a lot of individuals would just be doing the Kegel without any motion, and, and that's going to be doing more concentric. So the same rule applies. We need to be lengthening those pelvic floor muscles as they're contracting. So individuals, a lot of time, if they're trying to do their own home regimen, they're going to be doing more concentric exercises. I think that's, mm -hmm. that's the one that people think of by nature. So I always really try and pull it into an analogy with the bicep muscles. So, you know, 
people with a chronic pelvic pain also tend to have urinary incontinence. And it's not because their muscles aren't strong. It's because they are shortened and they're in such a shortened stage that they can't achieve that full contraction. So I'll tell patients, it's a really good analogy with the bicep. So if we have our, our elbow fully extended and we go to do a bicep curl, we're going to have good strength. But if we start with our elbow at 90 degrees and we go to flex our arm up, we're only going to have half the strength because we only have half of the muscle length. And that's a really good analogy for those patients that have the urinary incontinence when they're like, I don't get why I have this. I haven't had a kid. You know, I, I, it's all pain related. And so really mm-hmm. talking about those analogies can be helpful for the patients to really understand what their mechanism is that's causing that urinary incontinence. And again, an individual that doesn't know any better, maybe making it worse if they're just doing Kegel after Kegel after Kegel, now that muscle is just tightening and tightening and tightening. And they'll come to me and say, well, what am I doing wrong? I'm like, you're doing Kegels. We need to be stopping that right now. If anything, we need to be bearing down. If they don't have any problems with prolapse, I will encourage gentle bearing down to stretch those pelvic floor muscles. A lot of patients that come into me with chronic pelvic pain, when I ask them to bear them down, they barely have any motion occurring at that pelvic floor muscle or even a lack of how to do that. And that can even tie into now like issues with constipation because they can't relax that sling Um, ligament effectively in order to have a full bowel movement. And so, you know, a lot of patients will come to me with just chronic pelvic pain, and then I'll ask them some other questions on bowel and bladder function. And a lot of other things come out of the woodwork that I tell them is really all tied into this myofascial pain issue and the tightening of all these, the fascia and the muscles attached to them. And I don't think people really understand how much fascia is really within the abdominal cavity. and then we, sure. when we have different surgeries, it can affect that, especially if we're having a bladder sling or, or a hysterectomy or even a cesarean, all that fascia is being disrupted. Um, can you maybe touch into on that when patients maybe have surgery and then they can have some myofascial pain after? What do you see with that clinically? Well, it's, uh, it's the best kind of myofascial pain to have if it's rec- recognized early. And so, I mean, it's nice for me because I do C-sections a lot and they've got specific spot tenderness at the fascia. I mean, you're, you know, when you're doing surgery, you're putting that fascia, punching that fascia together with the muscle and, you know, in itself is going to be a little bit of a dysfunction until it kind of heals itself or works itself out. Um, You know, that's why we do use some absorbable sutures at six to eight weeks, it's gone. Then it can kind of lengthen itself out. But, uh, those are the best ones to do trigger points on because uh, they go away after typically one or two injections. Um, but a lot of people don't recognize that. They don't say, uh, this is nothing, you know, it's nothing. It'll just go away. And unless you recognize those, those potential problems and treat them early, then it can become more of a chronic uh, pain problem. So from a physical therapy standpoint, if I'm working with somebody that has C-section pain, after what amount of time or treatments do you think would be the best time to refer them for that trigger point injection if they're failing with the physical therapy interventions, like after two weeks, after three weeks? My my personal feeling, again, as I kind of tell people, hey, we're going to do injections. In fact, I never do injections on a first visit. I say you have to start stretching and do all these things. Recommend you see a physical therapist, you know, and 
if they're not doing that, then I feel like they're not committed to the prop to the to their outcome, uh, good outcome. Uh, and so, but I think the same thing can happen with physical therapy. I mean, you you quoted some numbers of eighty percent resolution at seven weeks. It all just depends on the duration of pain they have. I mean, I don't think you're going to see anybody at seven weeks resolution with somebody who's had five years of pain. I mean, they're not going to get better at seven weeks. If they've had a surgery and they had it three months ago and you're doing physical therapy, they may get better in seven weeks. All just depends on the duration of the dysfunction. And so I think so many of those people need both and they need both kind of at the same time. Say, this is going to be our plan. And the reason it's nice to give them both is it gives them direction because if, and, and I think it's the biggest part for me is I never want to put all my eggs in one basket, say we're going to do trigger point injections and you're going to get better. And then at, let's say it's six weeks, they're not better. They're like, well, this is terrible. You told me I was going to get you better with this. And, and that's why, but first of all, I don't think they're going to get better with that alone, but, it does require kind of multiple modalities to, to address the problem of chronic pain. And so the more people you have that are involved and that are committed to treatment of chronic pain, which is very hard to find, right, Madison? Yeah. Uh, the more people you have committed to doing that, the, the better you're going to get. You know, you get somebody who's committed. You know, I, when I first started treating chronic pain 18 years ago, I'd send somebody to physical therapist and this is no offense to you, but it's just, just uh, to the, to the, to people who don't like dealing with chronic pain, I'd send them and they'd call me and say, okay, well, I, tell me what I'm supposed to do. And I'm like, well, you're the physical therapist. You should know what to do. And the reality is I don't think a lot of people know what to do. Uh, and so if you've been to a physical therapist and you feel like you haven't gotten resolution, sometimes it's just somebody who doesn't know what to do. You've been to a gynecologist and you, you know, they say, you know, the worst words, phrases I hate, I hate to hear. It just hurts me to hear it when patients say, I went to my gynecologist and they said, it's all in your head. Uh, I'm just going to say it's so wrong. Yes. You know, be committed, find somebody who's committed to treating your pain and taking care of the problem and don't put the onus on patients saying it's in your head. It's just totally ridiculous. So. Um, I just, I guess the point of your question was, should, when should you go to trigger point? I think you should be committed to tra- taking care of it. And sometimes it requires multiple modalities. And so for me, I tell this to somebody, I, Hey, you're going to go to a gastroenterologist. They're going to deal with your IBS, which is happening because you have chronic pain. I'm not telling you, I don't want to see you again. I'm still committed to your pain, but you have to see them as well. Go see a physical therapist. You may have some, some, dysfunction because of the way you posture because you're a waitress and the way you hold massive items is going to, you know, it's caused a tilt in your pelvis. See them. I'm not saying that you don't come back to see me. I'm saying that I want you to see them as well. If you see a urologist because they've got interstitial cystitis, you got to see them as well. Now, some people don't want to do that, but you have to find people that are committed to treating the conditions that are very difficult to treat. And for that in gynecology, it's chronic pain. Not a lot of people want to take care of it. And maybe that's true for physical therapy. They probably don't want to take care of it. Uh, It's easier to take care of somebody post-surgery and get them on their way and be done. So anyway, hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, kind of going off of that, 
I think it's common for gynecologists to perform abdominal trigger points, but it's really difficult for me to find gynecologists that are willing to do actual internal pelvic floor injections. I really only know of you and two others in this region. Um, can you maybe lend to why that may be? Well, I think that it's uh, <clears throat> harder. I, I'm amazed that you find a lot that do abdominal trigger points injections. I don't know if there's a lot that do that either, but but uh, I think the pelvic floor is um, a little more nebulous. It's a little more difficult to kind of isolate a, a specific structure that's tender. Um, <clears throat> I, I'm not a huge fan of doing lidocaine to the pelvic floor because if I'm going to do it, it's a little bit more traumatic, you know, putting a needle in the vagina is a little more traumatic than putting it in the abdominal wall. N neither of them are good, but it's worse vaginally. And, uh, and I think if I'm going to do them, most of the time I'll do Botox. And so you may have people that are, they may have done them if they're doing them vaginally, <clears throat> are not committed to doing vaginally because they have to do it a lot. And I, I, so if you're not, if you don't have access to Botox through whatever office or clinic you have, then I think that can be a rate limiting step too. Uh, so anyway, hopefully that answers your question. So Dr. Watts, from all that we've talked about today, what would you say is the main take home message for the listeners of this podcast? I think the take home message is um, there's help available. And if you have chronic pain, don't feel like that you're, everything is lost. Unfortunately, there's a cycle of seeing a gynecologist. They may not know what's going on. Sending you to a urologist, they may not know what's going on. Urologist sends you to the gastroenterologist. They may not go, know what's going on. Somebody may fill, filter in and say, you need to see a physical therapist, and they may not go know what's going on. But know that there's help available. There are people that are available that know what's happening with chronic pain. It's treatable. It's uh, something that uh, may require uh, something thinking outside of the box uh, that is not part of your standard curriculum that you get when you go to a, a standard medical school and it, or PT school, if that's the case. I don't, I've never been there, so I don't know. But know that there's help available and you've gotta be able to seek out the right people and uh, I've been doing this for a lot of years and my heart breaks for people that come in and, and you give them a diagnosis and you give them a correct pathway. And it's amazing how, what that does for somebody to have the right diagnosis, to know which way to go, whether it requires work on their own, which a lot of the time, in, a lot of times in myofascial pain, it does require your own effort and uh, things to alleviate the muscular dysfunction but this is a real thing. It's not in your head. Uh, there's providers that are available for you to, to take care of you and, and put you on the right course. Thank you very much for being here today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening. Please visit our website at mlrehab.com and follow the specialty link to the Women's Health for more information. If you know anyone suffering from abdominal or pelvic pain, please share this podcast. If you would like to speak with a specialist, please email madison at mlrehab.com. I would like to thank Dr. Watts for coming on the show today. 
And please stay tuned next month for our topic on painful intercourse from the perspectives of a sex and couple psychologist, Dr. Jordan Rulo. Thank you. This podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Exercises that are safe and appropriate for some people may not be for you. No treatment program should be undertaken without first consulting your physical therapist or physician. The contents of this podcast is protected under United States copyright laws and may not be reproduced, redistributed, transmitted, displayed, published, or broadcast without prior written permission of Mountainland Physical Therapy.